I'm Susan Siegel, and this is Experiencias. In this podcast, I will chat with leading women from around the Americas about their professional and life experiences, and hopefully get some advice for all of you today. Today, my conversation is with former Vice President and Minister of Foreign Affairs of Panama, Isabel Santemalo. Isabel has a really interesting background. She was not only the Vice President of Panama, but she pioneered her career in a country where there just aren't very many women that have had very successful careers. Today, Isabel works as an international consultant for the senior advisor to the administrator of the United Nations Development Program. And since the beginning, while she was doing all this, she also managed to have a successful marriage and three children. So today, we are going to talk a little bit about her amazing journey, her career that she's built while juggling the task of being an amazing mom. So Isabel, tell me a little bit about you. What's your story? Well, Susan, thank you so much for having me and congratulations on launching Experiencias. I think it's so powerful to be able to share stories and there is so much learning uh, when you have that opportunity. And, and thank you for inviting me. Thank you for coming. You know, when people talk to me about opportunities and, 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 and gender and career for women and all of the obstacles that, that are present, which I know now that there are, I can only think of how lucky I have been because I cannot say that I've faced all of these obstacles that many, many women today continue to face. I, w I was lucky enough to be born in a family where my brother, my sister and I always had the same opportunities. My mother and my father never made a difference. So I never saw it as a something, it was never a question of going to school and, and going to university and pursuing a career. And I never had that in mind that I had to choose. My mother was also a working mother. She was an interior designer. And I remember as very young going with my mother to fairs and, and, and her projects. So that was always present to me. And I think that giving our daughters that model is so powerful because to me, that was very, very powerful. I was lucky enough after a university to start my career with the United Nations because there again, because it is an organization where it's important to have opportunities to everybody the same, I did not find obstacles that corporate America finds that the private sector still today um, women find there. I, I did not have that. So in my journey, and you were talking about building family and, and profession, I think I have just been very lucky and then finally meeting a fantastic man who became my husband that is very supportive and, and has been central to, to making it possible for me to work and, and, and balance. I think that's central. Does he take on a lot of responsibility in the home? Because a lot of women in Latin America tell me that they can't do what they want to do because their husbands don't share. And that's true in the United States too, share some of the common responsibilities. I learned through the journey <clears throat> that he's very 
willing to do many things that I never even thought of not asking him, letting him do. Because one of the things that contributes to the non-evenly shared um, responsibilities at home is that we as women do not let our partners. Because we come, and I did as well, even though my mother always worked, she was always in charge of things at home. And even though I always worked, I was always in, char in charge of things at home. It, it's like the chip we come with. So in Latin America and in Panama, we are fortunate enough to have a very strong support network and, and, and help that allows you to, to do things. But I was always in charge and I managed to have, as I called, everything in control, you know, my children's school activities and, and doctors and supermarket and running the home. But when I became vice president, I really got the feeling there that I totally lost balance. Of course, my children then went, were teenagers, so it was a different thing. They weren't babies anymore. But there I lost my balance, and I had for the first time to discover how willing my husband was to do. And I discovered there that there was no issue at all, like I'm busy tomorrow so I cannot take uh, one of our children to the doctor, so he'll take them. And the, the story there, and, and I'm, I'm going to share this because it was too funny. It was 2014. We had just began the government and it was an evening. We were sitting around our dining table having dinner, the five of us. My daughter, who was 14 at the time, had some issue and she needed to go to the doctor. And being in charge of those things, as I always had, I made up the appointment, but I couldn't take her. So we're having dinner and I tell her, uh, Carolina, uh, your appointment is made tomorrow, three o'clock with Dr. X and daddy is taking you. And she looks up at me and she says, and will he know what to say to the doctor? And my husband goes like, I'm sitting here. You cannot, you know, speak as if I wasn't. Of course I will know what, what to say to the doctor. But in her mind, because he had never taken her. But he had never taken any of them because I had never let him, not ask him, let him. In my mind, that was my responsibility. So we as women need to share because it's not only share the, the burden, it's allow them to have some of the experiences as fathers. They miss out on a lot of things that are memories, are uh, experiences, and they miss out because we take them on. And, and how did you feel that, that when he was at the doctor and you were in the office? At that point, I was so busy, I didn't even think about it. But I, my initial sentiment was one of regret that I couldn't. Because we come, again, we come with that chip where we can't miss those things. We're taught that if we are responsible mothers, we need to do that ourselves. Right. Well, no, if you have a responsible father like I do, What's, you know, what's a, such a big deal of sharing it? But I have a lot of hope with younger couples because I think they have a different approach. I see it with my own children and I see young uh, married couples. They 
share a lot more than what we did. And that's central to women being able to stay in the workforce. Well, I was going to ask you about that because you said, you know, your mother was a role model, f model for you and you're a role model for your daughter along, along with a role model for many other people. But the question is, I've done a lot of reading and people say you not only have to work with young women, but your daughters, but you also have to work with your sons and help your sons understand that women can be whatever they want to be and, you know, be just as successful in whatever profession they choose. And so how do you feel about that? It's very important. I'm glad you bring that up because why are so many men still, as we called it in Latin America, machistas? Why? They were all brought up by a mother. So... As mothers, I agree, we have a very important role with our sons as well. But there is also another reverse thing, and actually I was having dinner with a dear friend of mine last evening who has one son, and, she, and he's about 12 years old, and he, she's very engaged in development and gender, and he's starting to tell her that he feels left out because everything is about women and about women. So we, start, we need to think about that as well. You know, we cannot all of a sudden, because we're trying to achieve balance and gender equality, we, we cannot make it the opposite. So it's a delicate balance. And with our sons, I think we need to let them know that women have the same rights, should have the same opportunities, and that in order for that to happen, they need to play a role. And I do think that younger males ha have a broader uh, perspective in that regard. I completely agree with your comment that we just can't think about young women. We have to think about young men. And what we're really talking about is equality of opportunity and equality of understanding and belief. So we can't go in any one direction. And going back a little bit, in your career, who, who impacted you the most? Who do you, when you think back, you know, I, I think back in my career and I think that the president of Manufacturers Hanover Trust gave me my first really big opportunity and the chairman of Manufacturers Hanover Trust. Um, who do you feel gave you your big opportunity? He allowed me to punch weight much beyond my years and my experience. I'll mention two fantastic women who were both my bosses at UNDP in Panama. One, a Nicaraguan, uh, Ligia Elizondo, she's retired now, resides in, in Nicaragua. And another one, Elizabeth Fong, also uh, Nicaraguan, she passed away. And they both really believed in me, and I was, I was a program officer at the time but I had the opportunity to engage in, in, in national and regional issues and, and meet fantastic people. I remember, for example, we were leading in Panama some dialogue processes and I got to meet and work with Belisario Betancourt, the former oh, wow. president of, of Colombia, who's a, he was a fantastic, uh, fantastic man. And I had the opportunity of, of, of meeting and working with uh, um, Sanguinetti, the former president of Uruguay, and Edmundo Jarquin, 
uh, from Nicaragua, many international uh, figures, a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience that were the, the kind of people that were willing to share. And as a very young professional, I just had, and I didn't think of it at the time. At the time it was like, you know, oh, normal, fine. You know, you're working with these former presidents and you sit around the table with them to plan a, an agenda for a meeting, discuss which documents are going to be distributed, where are we going to sit these political um, rivals that are going to be invited to this meeting? Where are you going to sit them? Who are you going to sit them next to? Things that at the time you were like, well, this is normal. That just was a fantastic opportunity to me. And I didn't realize then what that would mean for me in the future. And when I engaged in politics, I mean, I've never belonged to a political party. I ran as an independent. I was not, I was not looking for a political career. I was advising a presidential candidate on the technical uh, side of his program, which is what was close to me. And then I was surprised with being invited to run as a vice president. And I do think that those experiences early in my life uh, just made it very natural to me to be engaged in, 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 in national issues and global issues on being engaged with political figures. So without me realizing it, or before that, I, I graduated and went to work. This is another man who really inspired me. I went on to work to the Center for Democracy in Washington, D.C. A bipartisan organization, very important in Washington, covering the world. I remember we worked on the restoration of democracy in Nicaragua, and we worked on the strengthening of the parliament in Guatemala. And I was 20 years old and working with uh, uh, Latin Americans and, and um, having those opportunities and then from then coming on to work at the mission of Panama to the United Nations when Panama had just had democracy restored and working for the first government in the democratic uh, period in Panama and being at the United Nations representing my country at the third committee with a mission of only five people and being 22 years old, I was very lucky. That, that's an amazing opportunity. Um, particularly for a 22-year-old woman. Our listeners may not know what the UNDP actually is, so you might want to tell them and why that was what it is and why it was so important in the development of your career. UNDP is a United Nations Development Program. It's the agency of the United Nations system that works on development in general. It's an organization uh, where I had the opportunity of learning about methodologies to fight poverty, uh, cash transfers, cash transfer programs, and how they work. I worked, I had the opportunity from UNDP Panama to work with some very powerful, technically, people on the first cash transfer in Panama, modeled after uh, the program Bolsa Escola in Brazil, which was one of the first uh, cash transfer programs. 
So working at UNDP gave me the opportunity of really being at the forefront of development and at the forefront of the um, thoughts and ideas about fighting poverty, fighting inequality, and how that relates to opportunities, uh, to, to health, to education, to the importance of women. I, I, it was a school to me. So you have many legacies, but one of the great legacies you're going to have in your period as vice president is Ley 56, Law 56, which you passed in 2017, and that mandated the inclusion of at least 30% women in public and private boards. How'd you get it passed? Mm -hmm. And and what did people say to you after you got it passed, particularly men? And how'd you feel? Well, um, I'll tell you uh, what men tell to me, but I'll tell you many of them what they think and won't tell me, which is, where did this crazy idea come from and why are we doing this? So we need to continue to work on uh, sensibilizing people of why this is important. And I, I thought of that because I had the fantastic opportunity before my mandate to uh, be one of the founding members of the Women Corporate Directors chapter in Panama. And while engaging with them, I I realized and I, and I learned how important this was globally and how far behind we were in Panama, like in the United States. So I was very aware. But also, let me tell you that many, many years ago, Susan, I did not believe on things like this. I did not believe in quotas. I did not believe on forcing, if you want to call it somehow, these, these sort of things. I am a true believer now of quotas and this sort of uh, legislations because I don't think it's going to happen otherwise. Right. And we have learned that it's moving too slow and we need to push harder. And let me, before I go on to lay 56, share with you why it is so important. I think this is relevant because many people think that we're working for gender balance because of women. We're not working on gender balance because of women. We're working on gender balance because it is important for women, because it is important for men, because it is better for families, and because it is very important for countries and for the world. The impact on growth, on a company's finances, the impact that we can have if we incorporate women on the workforce and we incorporate them on the higher levels of decision-making positions within a company is so powerful. It's just so powerful. It only, it's been proven. There are many evaluations. It only has good consequences. So in Panama, we've had more women graduating from universities for many years. And Panamanian women have been part of the workforce for the longest time. But even you have some sectors of the economy, even finance, where you have more women working than men. However, when you start looking at executive positions, then it changes and then it drops. So the women are there, they have the training, they have the experience, but they are not represented enough at the decision-making positions. Why does this happen? I think it's a combination of things. 
But I, I think part of it is it's ensuring that the opportunities are there and Lei 56, it's going to force it. I, actually, there was, I have to say, a Panamanian senator, Kathleen Levy, she began with the idea of incorporating women at the boards at the public sector. And when I saw this, and I, I saw it on the news or something, I immediately called her and I said, you know, Kathleen, this is really important. I'm going to help you pass this. But we're not only going to do it for the public sector, we're going to also do it for the private sector. So we started working, and it was so funny to see people's reactions. Like, there they come again. You know, <laughs> these women push it for women things. People should get opportunities on their merits and not because they're women. And I'm like, you know, you're totally missing it. If you think we're talking about opportunities just because you're women, we're not talking about opportunities just because we're, we're women. Opportunities because you have the merits, but we need to force those opportunities to happen. And, and also, I mean, diversity. It's all about, you know, every study shows that a diverse board, a diverse senior management team makes for better business decisions or better parliamentary decisions and that the outcomes are better. 100%, Susan, you're totally right. And think about Think about goods. Think about household goods. Who makes the decisions on what to purchase? Consumers, women play a big role as consumers, but About then... 80% of the household decisions, 70 to 80% are made by women. Yes. And so what would happen if a corporation incorporates the vision of women? They will just make better decisions. Absolutely. It will turn into numbers sooner than later. So Ley 56, which was passed uh, a couple of years ago, but will begin implementation this year, it already began implementation, has a transition period. First year, 10%, second year, 20%, third year to reach the 30%. What other thing we did? We approached the um, bank, because it doesn't affect every company in the private sector just regulated sectors, which is a large chunk. So it reaches banks, security companies. But once other companies see that this is happening in those sectors and the benefit of having 30% women, it will push it. It will push the whole topic. It will push it. So we met with their, uh, you know, the, the councils of the banks and the councils of the insurance companies. And we began this process of not only saying here's the legislation, but talking to them, why is it important? What would this mean for, for you? And there was, there was resistance. At the beginning, we had things like, uh, no, it really doesn't apply to us. So we had to get into the, into the um, regulation of the law to make sure that it was so clear that nobody had the option of seeing if it wouldn't apply to you or not. And I think, Susan, this is going to have uh, a very important impact in Panama, and we've seen it in other countries. We've seen it in other countries, it works. I have a lot of faith on what it can create uh, in Panama. That's great. So going back a little bit, did you ever think about leaving the workforce when you had children? I did, I did. And, and actually, I took five years where I worked as a consultant pretty much half time, and that was very powerful for me. 
I was one of those mothers that really struggled going to work every day in terms of having the feeling um, of not doing anything, everything that I needed to do for my children. You know that guilty, guilty feeling that I we get that women, all the time. I know we are so fast at the guilty feeling, so fast at the guilty feeling. But we also have to think about the model that we give to our children when we go out to work. So you know, it's it's one thing for another. Anyhow, when they were little, um, yes, many times I, I felt that uh, that need, and I always thought that I needed to leave UNDP while my children were young enough that they wanted me home, because I knew there would come a time when, and that time has, has, has arrived. <laughs> so, so I'm glad I did that when I did it. When I left UNDP, my children were 10, 9, and 6. So they, at the time, you know, mom is everything. You just want your mom to be everywhere with you. So I left UNDP and for five years worked as an independent consultant. And I remember telling my clients, I worked for, I did some consultancy for international organizations, also for the private sector and also for the government. And I remember telling my clients to not look for me in the afternoons because you won't find me unless it's a real emergency. I work in the mornings. And that's what I did. For five years, I worked in the mornings and in the afternoons, I sat down with them, did homework, took them to ballet classes, took them to their football lessons. And I was, I remember that as probably one of the happiest times of my life. It, it was, to me, that was a perfect balance. You know, I still managed to maintain my, my professional activity, which is very important to me, very valuable. I, I treasure it. But I spend a lot of time with them at a time when they still wanted me home. I think that's really important, and I think one of the things that shows is that there's so many different opportunities for women. Women can stay in the workforce, people can, women can leave the workforce, but come back to the workforce. Women can work part-time and be able to try to do everything. But for that, and I, I take advantage of your question for, <laughs> for a message, if I may, we need all of us, we need to be less harsh on evaluating women when they have left the workforce and want to come back. Because many times, and I've been an, an employer and I've sat looking at a, a resume that has five years empty, and it's not five years empty, my God, it's five years full of work, a different type of work, which is also valuable. Absolutely. The work at home is also valuable, but we tend as, as employers, and I've done that, to say, you know, maybe you're rusty. Maybe you've lost your edge. No, give them a chance. I, I completely agree with that. We have to give them a chance. And also, we can't go backwards. We have to allow coming back as a step forward in the career, both financially and also from a professional experience perspective. I think all of those things. Not punish them. Not punish them, but reward them in a sense. And I think that and I also believe that for men. If men want to take some time off and be home and then go back into the workforce, that should be a choice that's available to them as well. About men, women, uh, Susan, let me share with you what happened in Panama when we introduced a legislation for parental father's leave uh, upon the birth of a son. 
And I mention this because this is so important for the sharing of the responsibilities that we need to happen for women to have the opportunity to work. And some countries that are more advanced in terms of gender, like Scandinavia, they have leave for both of them. Absolutely. And they can choose, you know, I do six months, you do six months, I do three months, whichever way you want to do it. And they decide, many times it's the father that stays because she has a job that has a higher income. It's really interesting that you say that because I know a young couple and both, they they work for companies and um universities and they both got parental leave and so the mother took the first three months and the father used his parental leave to take the second two months um so isn't that beautiful they, they weren't home at the same time isn't that beautiful this baby will have the opportunity of not being on somebody else's responsibility but his parents or her parents but this father will have the beautiful opportunity of sharing two months, changing diapers, making the bottle. That is a powerful Absolutely. experience Abs for a father. Absolutely. Well, in Panama, it's a very sad story. Ministry of Labor introduced a proposal at Congress to, I don't remember what the proposal was, maybe one month, maybe two weeks, I don't know. It was a horrible discussion. Many women oppose the legislation. Many women with positions like, I'm the one having the baby, why does he get to have the, the, the free days? I mean, a total misunderstanding of what this could lead to. Anyhow, with such a horrible discussion, Congress ended up passing three days leave. Three days. So in Panama, if you're a father, you're lucky enough to be able to be home and support your wife and your newborn for three days. And if you're a woman? If you're a woman, you get three months. For you, if you're the father, you get three days. What are we talking about? Whose responsibility is it to have a child? Okay, three months for her, three days for him. Those That's almost an insult. It is an insult. So we have a lot of teaching and learning to do. So... What advice would you give, if you were to give one piece of advice to the next generation, what would it be? Give yourself opportunities and provide opportunities to everyone around you. Meaning, listen to people when they need somebody to listen to them, advise them when they need them advice. This is a quest for society as a whole where we all play a role. And I think young people, uh, will achieve many of the things that our generation has thought of and begun, but we've not conquered yet, they will. So my advice would be never give up, you know, just continue, continue on this quest, which is very important. And as you look out in your career, is there anybody in the world that inspires you today? Yes, many, many people. Uh, people like you, Susan, oh. that, no, really, what do you do? You work with the private sector to get them engaged on global issues, on regional issues. You try to constantly bring together public, private. That is so important. Thank you. No, really, because we cannot solve the issues that we need to solve unless we work together. And we have islands of people not talking to each other. And, and it's sectors. getting worse. Yes. So 
many people inspire me and you're one of them and continue to do the work that you do. Well, thank you very much, mm -hmm. Isabel. You inspire me. Thank you. Um, and thank you for being with us today. I think it's been a wonderful conversation. And as you go forward, I look forward to talking to you again and exposing you to our listeners again. And we wish you the very best of luck. listening. I'm your host, Susan Siegel. This podcast was produced by Louisa Lemme and Sarah Bonds. The music in this podcast was recorded at the America Society in New York City. Check out our concerts at musicoftheamericas.org. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please write a review, share, and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you happen to get your podcasts.